Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. All right, another year, another offseason of quarterbacks on the move. Will Gino be one of them? And what does it mean for the Seahawks? Let's get to it. Bump, um, have you ever been on a darkness retreat? A darkness retreat? Yeah, or just a retreat of any kind. A retreat? No, I've gone camping. Okay. I've been on um, the wilderness. Well, similar. As you know, Aaron Rodgers went on his darkness retreat. And guess what? He's back. Aaron Rodgers, like a like the groundhog, climbed out of the hole of the darkness retreat where he spent several days contemplating his life and future. Bump, the point wasn't just to find out where he's playing or if he's playing in 2023, but that was part of it. Um no word yet on what he's decided, but here's what we know. This from Jeff Darlington. The first of which is a conversation I had with a very important Green Bay Packers source who quite honestly believes that Aaron Rodgers will be back with the Packers and that all of this is being overhyped. He looks mm. at the contract that Aaron Rodgers signed last year, the commitment that he gave to the team, and believes that at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers will be back with the Packers. Now, if it's being overhyped, Bump, it's because Aaron Rodgers is quite literally going and went on a darkness retreat to figure it out and did a lot of the overhyping himself. But also, now that he's out, we don't know yet, but is Green Bay the best place for Aaron? It's it's being overhyped precisely for what you said. Exactly. Because Aaron Rodgers overhyped the situation. He only talks to one person, that's Pat McAfee on his show, and he lets it he let it be known that he's going to sit in darkness for four days, no social media, no technology. He's going to read a book. And when he emerges <laughs> from the darkness, he will have an answer for everyone. And um, what was your second question? Is Green Bay the best is place? Is Green Bay the best it, place? It is the best place for him, honestly. It's the best place for him because – you and, I, you, I, and Curtis talk about this all the time. The NFC West is the easiest place to try and get to the Super Bowl. There's too many dogs out in the AFC. NFC West, you got to deal with Dak Prescott. Respect to Jalen Hurts now. You know what? I'm throwing Jared Goff in there because he had himself a good year. In the NFC, like quarterback NFC. total yeah. rankings. You got Kirk Cousins, and then you have Matthew Stafford, and then um, Brock Purdy. We'll see what happens over there. Those names sound a lot better than Josh Allen, Joe mm-hmm. Burrow, um, Pat Mahomes. Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence. Yuck. And I'm even throwing Russell in there because I think Russell's going to have a bounce back here. So it's best that he stay. He's a smart man. Yeah. All right. As crazy as we may think he is, he's a smart dude. He's looking at the path and saying, I might want to stay home. Okay. So what I'm going to do is kind of run through some of the quarterback situations of the QB carousel we're talking, and then I'll explain, uh, you know, how it affects the Seahawks and which teams are making a run at some of these guys. So we're going to talk about current and then potential and then what it means for Seattle. So I'm going to stick with current and talk about what's happening with Lamar Jackson, another quarterback we're all watching, especially now that that franchise tag window's open. Bad news between Lamar and the Ravens is good news for the rest of the AFC North. It certainly doesn't look like things are looking up for this pair. Uh, If you're Jackson, you saw that fully guaranteed deal the Browns gave Watson and said, hey, I'm an MVP, looks good to me, but that's not what the Ravens seem to want. Here's more from Jeff Darlington, this one on the drama between the Ravens and Lamar. With Lamar Jackson... You know, I think there is going to be a lot of drama in the coming weeks, if not months, if they put the, especially if they put the non-exclusive tag on him. Ultimately, whatever tag they put on him, all the talk that we have about the different tags and what it means, the end goal here is still to get Lamar on a long-term deal. 
the non-exclusive tag would allow Lamar Jackson to be uh, traded to another team. You have to give up two first-round picks, though, if you're a team that makes that move. So it's really, really uh, uncommon. Really, it would just kind of keep the relationship a little tense is what it would do because it would be we're not giving you a long-term deal. We're giving you essentially a one-year fully guaranteed deal. That's not the kind of fully guaranteed money Lamar wants, though. Bump, if you're Lamar Jackson, is it fair for you to look at what Deshaun Watson got from Cleveland and say, I deserve that? It's completely fair. You know why? Because certain teams and players set the market. A few years ago, we're looking at Pat Mahomes and saying, $500 million. Oh, my God, all this money up front. He's going to be rich, right? And then a few years from now, that that contract's going to be nothing because there's someone else who's going to pass that up. What Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns did is they passed everybody up. They did it quickly. They made it fully guaranteed. They put the rest of the league in an awkward situation. But as a player, as a person who was in that position, the quarterback spot, you're looking at that and saying, for sure, I'm a former MVP. I'm one of the best QBs in this game. I bring something to the table that I'm not – too many other quarterbacks can bring to this table. I'm the most mobile quarterback of all time and don't sleep. I can still throw that thing. I've done more than Deshaun Watson has done over the past few years. Why shouldn't I get that money well, too? Well, and really, the Browns kind of messed that up for everyone, right? Because yeah. it's it's like if you could imagine the Christian Kirk deal, which everyone panned and it ended up being okay, but then times a million because it was significantly more money invested in someone uh, that was a very questionable person to bring in given his uh, legal issues that he was dealing with. And then also someone who didn't perform when he actually got to Cleveland. Right. So came in late in the season after not having played for the better part of, what, two seasons? Yep. Um, And then, you know, it's so easy as any other quarterback to say, this guy, this guy's getting fully guaranteed money. Like, I know he was a special player two years ago, but then he became a guy that you're questioning whether he should be at the head of your franchise. Not only that, but a guy that struggled for a couple weeks to get a single touchdown. Like, that guy's getting fully guaranteed. That guy's getting more money than me. And I know that if you're thinking from the Ravens' point of view, you're wondering about Lamar getting hurt. Any quarterback can get hurt. And if a guy's potential is so high, then why is it not a risk you'd be willing to make? Let's move on to our next quarterback before we talk about some potential situations here. What might happen with the number one overall pick? Well, it's the the Chicago Bears that own that pick. And, of course, they're looking to improve that defense. Right, Bum? Right? Improve the defense? Should be. You would think so, except that there are rumors that they could be looking to trade Justin Fields. Justin Fields was far from the biggest issue with this team during twenty the 2022 season bump. Uh, yes, he finished the season 3-2. and two. Is it Fields or is it the Bears? Because they really struggled to give him any pass-catching weapons at the start of the season. He finished with about 2,200 yards, 17 touchdowns to 11 interceptions. On paper, it doesn't look great until you realize that he was such a huge part of their offense. He actually finished ninth, finished ninth in MVP voting. This is what Lewis Riddick had to say about uh, Justin Fields and, and why the heck are people talking about trading him? Is there something about Justin Fields that the people who have kind of taken this whole thing and just Chicago kind of turbocharged it, that they know that I don't know about Justin Fields, that people are saying, you know what, we need to move on from him because he's never going to realize his potential and Bryce Young is the answer. Because remember, at one point in time during the regular season, it was Luke Getzey's the problem. You're running him too much. You're not letting him throw it and develop his and throw <laughs> develop his throwing acumen. It was get this offensive coordinator the hell out of here. Before that, it was get Matt Nagy the hell out of here. The, these guys don't know what to do. Now it's let's get Justin Fields out of here and let's just get a new quarterback. It's like it doesn't like make this make sense to me. Now don't forget that the Bears traded up to select Justin mm-hmm. Fields in the draft at I think number ten overall. So they already made a sacrifice to bring him in. And again, in two years, I don't think anyone can say that he is your sole problem with 
with a team that lacks a million weapons and also has struggled with coaching and finding the right coordinators and finding the right scheme and finding everything. Is Justin Fields the problem, or maybe more importantly, Bump, is Justin Fields the solution? Justin Fields is not the problem. The problem is you don't have a defense. You don't have offensive weapons. He had Mooney over there who only played about 12 games. You were banking on him. You bring over Chase Claypool. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Then you look at this offense and it's like, okay, Justin, save us. Do it all by yourself. We all know that's not how this thing works. You got to give a quarterback two to three years to develop, especially if you throw him in there his rookie year and you say sink or swim. Mm -hmm. What they should have done is brought a veteran in, let him sit for a while and see what he does there. I think they might have done that. I think it's first year or not. Let me check real quick. Um, Anyway, Justin Fields is not the issue. The issue is you got to have a competent offense. You have to have a defense that can hold it down a bit. And you got to have personnel. So what you do with your number one pick is you go and get somebody to help Justin Fields. You don't say, oh, you know what? Let's let's give up on this project, this two-year project, <laughs> yeah. and go start all over with a smaller quarterback who's not going to give us the legs that Justin Fields has, who's not going to keep us in some ball games the way Justin Fields has. This is my problem with the NFL. They are so quick to give up on these young men at the quarterback position. Yet they have the most responsibility on the football mm-hmm. team. You got to show up early. Got to be the last one to leave. Got to know what everyone's doing. You got to make sure you're cool with management. You got to make you're sure you're 23 years you're old. You're 23 years old. You got to check in with this offensive line, get in the right protection, make adjustments at the line of scrimmage. They expect guys to come in ready to go. This isn't Winky back in the day for Florida State when he enters the league as a 28 year old and he's so mature, has everything figured out. Even he struggled a bit. Yeah. So Justin Fields is not the problem. He's going to be your answer if you get him weapons to work with. Okay, so let's talk about what could happen here. Let's assume that the offseason priority and ranking of quarterbacks goes uh, Rodgers and Lamar one and two. And you can use them interchangeably depending on how you feel them, uh, how you feel about them. But in in terms of quarterbacks who could be on the move, Rodgers would be via trade. Lamar would be via free agency unless he's franchise tagged in which he could still be traded. Unless those two are on the move, then the quarterbacks you're looking at are, well, is Justin Fields available or is Derek Carr or Jimmy G or Gino going to be available for your teams? Those three, Jimmy G, uh, Derek Carr and Gino, I see is kind of trailing behind uh, Rodgers, Lamar. And then depending on what happens with Fields, just given his age and yeah. potential, there could be teams that are really interested. Um, so let's talk about what happens with those three if the other three players stay put. If Lamar stays in Baltimore, if Mm -hmm. Aaron stays in Green Bay, if Justin Fields stays in Chicago, as he should and as the Bears should, then, you know, if you're the Jets, if you're Houston, I mean, what teams are looking for quarterbacks here and and how could the rest of those three quarterbacks be prioritized? If the three heavy hitters, you said Lamar, Aaron, and And Justin um, Fields. I just said given his potential. If they they stay put, it becomes a Derek Carr sweepstakes. It becomes mm-hmm. who's going to get a guy who's been in this league for a while, who's led the Raiders in passing a top 10 offense the past four seasons, a guy who's been a pro bowler, a guy who's proven that he can play over the course of time. That's the thing with Geno. The same reason why people don't want to pay Geno is the same reason why I'm saying Derek Carr <laughs> it'd be in the sweet six yep. because we've seen him do it a year, right? I'm contradicting myself. Bob, but you said you want to pay him. Yeah, I want to keep him here. But other teams, are they don't know Geno like we know Geno. They don't watch him like that. They watch film, but I want to keep him here. It becomes who's going to get Derek Carr. Then after that, everyone else gets the crumbs. And the crumbs to me would be Geno Smith and it'd be Jimmy Garoppolo. I put Geno in front of Jimmy because mm-hmm. I think people know who Jimmy is. Um, I think Geno's more of a mystery, and you're more likely to take a risk off a mystery. So we're looking at the New York Jets. 
We're looking at Houston. Is can Derek Carr be the bridge quarterback there? Yep. We're looking at Indianapolis. Can it be the bridge quarterback there? Any of the NFC South teams? Yeah, and any any of the NFC South teams can it be the bridge quarterback? Um, is Derek Carr the guy who can get you to a Super Bowl? Possibly. I mean, if you if you surround him with enough talent, would I bank on it? No, I wouldn't do that. But that's where it is, and I think. That's the way it should happen. I think Lamar should stay. You pay that man. Aaron, you stay in the NFC. It's the best way to go. Chicago, stop being stupid and surround Justin Fields with ballers on offense and defense. You got the number one pick. You got the number one pick. You got a quarterback, and now you're thinking about going defense. You're crazy. I think Geno should stay. Hopefully he stays. We'll see what happens there. And, uh, and Jimmy, you float around and do what you do. You get paid. Play in the league five, six more years, being a backboard bridge guy. But I think that's what we should see, but who knows, man? NFL's a crazy place. Yeah, I really I can't believe it. Um, something else I want to throw in here. There are a couple options. I just have one final minute, so we might spend more time on this later in the show. Uh, but I do want to spend a minute on it right now. Uh, Teddy Bruschi has really an interesting uh, take on what could happen with uh, with Gino. Now, I made fun of the commanders and Ron Rivera for saying this about Chase Young, being like, oh, well, you know, if we franchise tag him, he'll be motivated. And it's like, man, just pay that kid. Yeah. Like, he's earned it. I mean, I know he's injured, and I know that there are question marks, but uh, – but um, Teddy says that, you know, well, hey, what if you kind of take the same approach with Gino? Carroll has, has the best motivational tactics in terms of getting all players from rookies all the way to your 12th year motivated. And he relates to all players, even the modern day player in today being how old Pete is now. He can still relate. So he can get that type of motivation out of Gino. But I still like sort of pissed off Gino. You know, the kind that thinks everybody is still against him. So I would say, I would say, you see one in the second round. You see one in the third round or fourth. Go ahead and draft a quarterback just to, keep, just to keep Geno on his toes and motivated because that's the Geno Smith I like the best. So when we're talking about the quarterback carousel this offseason, it could include quarterbacks who aren't in the league yet, and that includes for Seattle. Teddy's saying, well, what? You know, if you're Seattle, you keep Geno, draft another guy. Keep him angry. Yeah. I'm not mad at that. I've never been opposed to the Seahawks drafting another guy to put pressure on Geno. Obviously, Geno does his best work as being an underdog. He's been an underdog ever since he left the Jets in 2016. Also, what that franchise tag does, Geno's made $17 million in his career. In 10 seasons, $17 million. You franchise tag him, he's going to get $32 million. He's going to be around, what, $49 million mm-hmm. when it comes to total. Chad Henney just spent 14, 15 years in league and made $43 million his whole career. Even with that franchise tag, I think Geno feels like, okay, he's earned something. He has a, a big paycheck, and he stays motivated at the same time. Me personally, I prefer to lock him down for a couple years and bring a guy in to develop, but I'm not mad at that approach either. Yeah. And I think that's when you start relying on how you know Geno. What makes him go? What makes him tick? What makes him function? If Pete Carroll thinks that this will keep him motivated and appease him at the same time as far as, all right, I got my check. I'm not mad at that situation. We might get to this a little bit later in the show and uh, potentially even at 1045. Uh, when K.J. Wright explains the, his theory as to why the Seahawks defense struggled in 2022, he's got some interesting stuff in there about um, Geno as well and, and the offense. We could get back to it there. Uh, first, though, let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bobo Stacy. Headline number one big news, you guys. Aaron Rodgers has officially emerged from his darkness retreat. What's the real headline? Now we just have to wait and see if he's afraid of his shadow. 
I just couldn't help thinking of like a Groundhog Day moment of like Aaron coming out and just kind of like blinded by the light, looking around. And again, I also can't get over. Now, this isn't Jeff Darlington's fault, but Jeff Darlington saying, you know, I think all the hype created around this is just nothing. I think Aaron's staying in Green Bay. Aaron is creating the hype. He's the one who Aaron did it. is going on Pat McAfee. We're all saying, trying to find the guy who did this. Exactly. Aaron is going on Pat McAfee's show saying, like, instead of just, yeah, I'm going to take some time to figure it out. I'd love to stay there, but I'm older and I, I got to consider it. It could be so simple. And you could still leave it up in the air and it, it could be so simple. But instead, you have to be so vague. And instead, you have to say stuff like, you know, you know, if the right pieces are in place, like you are the one making it complicated. You are the one making it dramatic and power to you. It's great news for me as a sports broadcaster. But you want to talk about where the drama comes from. It's you, Aaron. He creates the drama. One thing I respect about Aaron Rodgers is that he's consistent. You know that he's about he himself. Delivers. He's going to make you think. He's going to make you wonder. He is sure. going to get on Pat McAfee's show and only give him exclusive stuff. We know what we're going to get yeah. out of Aaron Rodgers. There, The surprises aren't really surprises. I might be surprised that he's going to go on a retreat for four days. But then you're like, oh, it makes sense. That's Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. This is what he does. So thank you for the content, Aaron Rodgers. But your best bet is to stay in Green Bay, I feel like, at this point. Um, we're going to talk about why uh, his best bet is sticking in Green Bay uh, coming up at 1030. The reason is because it really matters for the Seahawks as well. Not for the reason you think, though. That's the next headline. Headline rewrites. Headline number two, XFL action tonight. The Sea Dragons take on the Battlehawks in their 2023 home opener at Lumen Field. What's the real headline? Technically, Thursday Night Football is back. Let's go. I mean, hey, I know that you guys all loved it last year. No one ever complained about Thursday Night Football. And finally, it returns after being gone, what, a month? Yeah. I'm not complaining now either. Only thing I'm complaining about is that the Sea Dragons are playing on Thursday night. Yeah. You got the Bruins coming into town to play the Kraken on Thursday night. So I wonder how many people are going to show up to this game. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of preview. Okay. XFL preview right here, here with go. Bump and Stacy. Uh, the Dragons blew a 9-0 lead and an 18-8 lead last week. But the thing about the Dragons is their defense was on point, only allowed 177. They outgained the D.C. Defenders, 331. A.J. McCarron is going to be the quarterback on the other side. And they were the first team in XFL history to yes. take advantage of a three-point conversion and the 4th and 15 instead of um, kicking an onside kick. They, they go down. They take risks. They go down. They win the game. They're saying this should be a battle. That's what the people are saying. The experts are saying. So we shall see. Danucci has to take care of the football. Mm-hmm. Threw for about almost 300 yards. But did turn the ball over three times. If the Dragons take care of the football and play the same defense they did last week, they should get this one done. AJ was sacked five times last week as well. Let's go Dragons. I think it's spazzatura for trash. Much, much like basura. <laughs> For also garbage. That's don't play, correct. Don't it play like that, Ben. Spazzatura. 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 Google Trans. I used to be better at Italian than I am now. I've forgotten all words. Headline rewrites. I think it's best that we're not going to Italian. That makes the bit even Did better. Did you know that? So I, um, my dad and grandma spoke Italian fluently, though not around me. So I didn't, I only knew like little things from actually looking it up. But then I took Italian in college because I was like, oh, for the culture. And <laughs> <laughs> my professor was Amanda Knox's professor. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh, so I'm just saying. Hey. 
know. She learned Italian. <laughs> she did. She did. She had quite a lot of time to she learn Italian. She did have a, lot of, a yeah. lot of time to learn Italian. Headline number three, the Kraken hosts the NHL's best team, the Bruins, tonight. Puck drops at seven. What's the real headline? So I'm going to wait to tell you the real headline because, guys, I have a theory. Okay. I was talking to a friend yesterday, and um, you know, we were talking about how it's so cool to have a hockey team, but... Because the team is only two years old, you're still working on those stories. And as a peek behind the curtain for sports radio, we have what we call P1 and P2. So if you're a P1, it's you know that I have a, a boyfriend who's real named Brian. And you know that Curtis's daughter's name is Willa. And you know that Bump has three kids, right? Like if you listen regularly, like you love sports no matter what. You love sports radio no matter what. A P2 would be like... Like my mom. Like my mom loves stories. She's not listening for stats. She's listening because she wants to care about something. So I've decided enough of these stats with the Kraken. I need to create a story. I'm going to create a story because this is the way that we get everyone to believe in the Kraken. And so out of nowhere, I've decided the story is going to be the NHL doesn't want to see it. That's my real headline. Yeah, that the NHL is conspiring against Seattle. That the NHL's nightmare. That Gary Bettman has sleepless nights thinking about the crack and winning the Stanley (laughs) Cup. Uh-oh. That's my new, that's my new story that I'm starting. Are you saying there's classic East Coast bias yeah. play here? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Oh. So <laughs> It's so everywhere. I, it's endless. I feel like what I want to believe and what I'm choosing to believe for the rest of the season mm-hmm. as part of this story, right? That's the story. That's what everyone cares about. Not just, stat, not just stat heads. The story. The story is that the NHL doesn't want the Kraken to win. They don't want to see it. I can ride with that. Yeah, thank you. I can you. roll with that. Yeah. I can get with that. I'm down with that. I was going to open it up to other <laughs> suggestions from you guys, but I think that uh, we can all settle on that one. Curtis, unless well, you have something it else. A, it gives us an out if there is a bad call that goes against them exactly. at any point from here until the rest of the season. It's like, see, we were telling you it's, all along. It's the perfect story. It is. Oh, uh, Gary Bettman couldn't make uh, his meeting that he was going to have in Seattle to talk to Ron Francis. Go, go figure. Yeah. Gary hates I mean, Seattle. Never mind that they gave Seattle. Seattle the Winter Classic, or that like the Golden Knights made the Stanley Cup final. In their, it's for in show. Their expansion it's for show. Season, but yeah, yeah that that was a smokescreen. It's to throw us off their yeah, trail exactly. because the NHL doesn't want to see it. They don't want to see the crack and succeed, and that's exactly what they're going to do. Playoff bound. It goes all the way to the all top. All the way to the top. Uh, all right, let's get back to the NHL quickly here because if you're Aaron Rodgers, it makes sense to stick in Green Bay, but we're going to explain it from Aaron's point of view and why it matters for the Seahawks. I'll explain next. Bumpin' Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. If you're Aaron Rodgers, you want to stay in Green Bay. I mean, maybe you want Green Bay to change a couple things, like give you some more pass catchers or improve the defense, what have you. But if you're Aaron Rodgers, you're sticking in Green Bay, right? Right? Sure. Now... You said something interesting earlier, Bump. This was uh, before the show, which was, uh, hey, if if I'm Aaron Rodgers and looking at it, you know, through his eyes, you're, you're not stupid. Aaron Rodgers sees everything Seattle fans sees. See, when we sit here and talk about how the path to a Super Bowl is clearer in the NFC, we're not alone in that take. Aaron Rodgers and every other NFC team and quarterback and player can see that, too. So. Uh, let's talk about that path and let's talk about the conference and in uh, kind of what's in the way for the Packers, what's in the way for the Seahawks, you know, whether those two things are different. Um, 
So first, let's talk about the uh, the NFC as a whole if Aaron Rodgers stays. Okay. What's it look like from Seattle's point of view? If Aaron Rodgers stays, he's the big dog. He's the four-time MVP. Well, back-to-back one year, a couple years ago, back-to-back MVP. He's a guy with the most experience. He's going into the Hall of Fame. He's the standard in the NFC right now. If he goes to the AFC, ain't the standard over there. There's some young bulls over there who are changing the game. And what does it look like for the Seahawks? If Aaron were to leave, it looks a lot better for the Seahawks. Now you're dealing with the NFC West, really, and a Kirk Cousins who's going to ball out during a regular season. But you got to take home, take care of home first if you are the, the Seahawks, regardless of if Aaron Rodgers is here or not. You got to win your division or compete in your division because you got a couple good ball clubs in there. I expect the Rams to get healthy and be a lot better than they were this year. But if Aaron Rodgers were to leave, I think that opens it up even more. Maybe that accelerates the process for these guys getting back to the playoffs and being yeah. contenders even a bit more. Because, you know, eventually – if the Green Bay Packers make the playoffs, you're probably going to have to run into them because of um, just the quarterback situations. Mm-hmm. And let me put some respect on Jalen Hurts' name, too. Uh, runner up for the MVP, can throw that thing, can run that thing, mm-hmm. and I hope whoever is in his uh, playing his drinking game today is taking drinks right now. I hope so. I hope you're doing it. I know it's 1032, but thing was the word. That's the key word is thing. <laughs> Every um, time Bump says thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. He's got to take a sip. Sip of some coffee. Uh, but it, it looks Aaron Rodgers is the guy. And Aaron Rodgers likes being the guy. He doesn't like being number two. Yeah. He doesn't like being number three. He wants the attention, even though he might go on his retreat and sit in darkness for four days. He is the guy. He thrives being the guy. You stay on the NFC. You are the guy. Yeah, I like that analogy. He might be in a darkness retreat, but he loves the spotlight. <laughs> he <laughs> he does. It. He absolutely loves it. He pretends that he doesn't, pretends he's above it, but uh, but he has uh, quite the habit of drawing it to him. Um, you're right. I mean, Aaron Rodgers would be the top dog in the NFC, and that's not to disparage Jalen, but that is to say that Aaron's been there before, mm-hmm. right? Literally has has been to a Super Bowl, has won a Super Bowl. Yes, he hasn't been back there, but they have been, especially when they had Devontae Adams, for, to back to back to back, right? Three Were they three in a row uh, to the NFC Conference title game or uh, two in a row? Either way. It was two, two back and to then, back. And then, and then they losses lost. to San Francisco yeah. in the divisional round. So either way, they were a number one seed in that year. Mm-hmm. knocked out by San Francisco. They pretty much dominated um, off and on, but particularly during that three-year stretch. Never ended up getting to a Super Bowl, but a lot of that was because Aaron Rodgers remained really talented. If they can add some pass-catching weapons, Green Bay's certainly standing in your way, but you can get past them. Green Bay doesn't seem uh, like this um, monster you can't defeat in the way that, you know, the NFC used to feel. The NFC used to be looking around going, God, how do you get by the Rams? How do you get by the 49ers? Um, You know, the Seahawks, you know, are good, but are they just a wild card team? Like, you used to look around and be a lot more nervous than you are now. Now, I mean, who's in the way? You got Green Bay, Philly. You think the Rams, if they can pick things up? I think the Rams in the NFC West will uh, pick some things up. Uh, you got to look at Dallas, too. I know Dak Prescott had a bad year over there, but he's had more good years than bad years. I, I, I'm not going to have I'm not going to see one bad year and be ready to say, all right, Dak Prescott, you are done. I think if he gets the right weapons, Pollard comes back. I think he needs another receiver over there. You got to sign Schultz again, that tight end. You tighten up that defense. Diggs takes less risks when it comes to intercepting the football. Dallas is going to be in the mix. Every season until some point. And then they're either going to exceed expectations or they're going to decline. So I look at Dallas. I look at Philly. I look at Green Bay. I'm throwing Detroit in there I as was, well. I was just Detroit about to ask. 
if you look past like the big peop- the big guys where you're like, okay, Seattle's going to have an uphill battle or Seattle is has the under- underhand in this one, what are the teams where you think this is a tough matchup? Like Seattle could beat them, mm-hmm. but it's a tough matchup. I know Detroit is in there. I think Detroit, I think Carolina could be a tough matchup too. If they get a quarterback. And Frank Reich. Have you seen the staff he put together over there? No. I was, oh, man. I, I was looking at the staff. You got Deuce Staley over there with the running backs. Um, you have a, a, a good receiver coach. I forgot I was, yeah. I was doing notes last night. Up. He's putting together a nice staff over there. And if he gets a quarterback going, they could be something to deal with as well. So you look at each each division over there. You look at the NFC East. You got two dogs over there you feel like can get it done. We'll see if Daniel Jones can repeat what he did last year. Saquon Barkley is coming off a career year when it comes to running the football. Mm -hmm. You look at the NFC North. Green Bay always gets respect because you got Aaron Rodgers over there. We're throwing the Detroit Lions in there. We'll see if Chicago's dumb enough to let Justin Fields go and bring in Bryce Harper and start all over. Mm -hmm. And then Minnesota, they're good enough to beat you. They're good enough to blow a 20-point lead easily. Then the NFC NFC South is a a toss-up. In the West, you know, you got your two teams, three teams that I feel like are going to be competitive. This Panthers coaching staff is insane. Uh, Not only is Josh McCown... On it, he left Houston and became their quarterbacks coach. Uh, D'Angelo Hall is the assistant secondary coach. Dom Capers is the senior defensive advisor. Parks Frazier uh, is in there as a passing game coordinator. But also, Thomas Brown is who you were thinking of last week. Hired to offensive coordinator, thirty six years old. He's a young guy, uh, running back background. But he had been on Sean McVay's staff and was assistant head coach with them previously. So another uh, kind of offensive mind from the Sean McVay coaching tree brought over to Carolina. Hey man, Carolina's putting together a staff over there. I just need to look at their, I need to look at Carolina's uh, salary cap situation. Cause Carolina, I mean, I know not everyone listening is high on Geno Smith, but you want to talk about teams that are a quarterback removed. Some of those teams aren't looking at like, Oh, can I get, you know, Bryce young? Can I get CJ Stroud? Some of those teams are just like, can I get someone that can win this year? Yeah. Now Carolina has number nine overall. They're actually, I think a top candidate if Seattle trades down yep. uh, to trade up and try to get Stroud or try to get Levis or try to get somebody. I think they get Levis. You think they get I think Levis? at the nine spot, what? they probably can that, get Levis. Do you think Levis at five Levis top five is way too high? I feel I like the the most critiques I hear of any quarterback, any young quarterback in this draft, isn't Young, isn't Stroud, even though there are some orange flags around mm-hmm. either of these mm-hmm. guys. It's Levis and people being surprised that Levis isn't there at all. Yeah, The thing about Levis is if you look at last year, and that's what most people look at, he didn't have the greatest year, but he also lost a lot of guys on that offensive line. You look at the year prior to that, if he were to come out that year, then I think he'd um, he'd have more belief in him. But people talk about quarterbacks or talent for a reason. You don't sneak into the top 10. And I read a story the other True. day. Or what, did I read a story or did? I think Wyman said that Schneider said that there are really only about 15 guys that they grade out to be first-round draft picks. Yeah. After that, everyone else kind of, like the the end of the first round, second, third, yep. you can throw all those guys in together. I remember Clayton and, would talk about And then that. the end of that, and everyone after that clumps in together. So there's only about 15 guys who, who are leaps and bounds better than these guys. So I'm not saying Will Levis does not have NFL talent. Right. I'm not saying that he can't thrive in the NFL. All I'm saying is that I would pick some other guys before him. And going off of what he did last year in Kentucky is the reason why I have doubts. But I do understand the situation over there with Kentucky in that offensive line. I get what you're saying, though. Just that it's a little surprising to see Levis as the guy that's like suddenly could be a surprise as number two off the board or like... I don't. I have never seen a mock draft where he's number one. No, uh, but but could be the number two quarterback off the board. Is which he, is is he this year's Trey Lance? Is he the the guy who's going to have all this hype? People are going to move up to get him, 
and then you'll be disappointed. That's what I'm Maybe. afraid of. That's what I'm afraid of. Yeah. I just, you always know every year that despite all the hype around the quarterbacks, that obviously not all these guys will work out, and you just wonder who it's going to be. And then the best part is always wondering who could end up being really special. Yeah. Um, and, you know, My if bad. we want to talk about... I keep saying Bryce Harper, Bryce Young. Bryce Young. Sorry. <laughs> if we, if, if you want to talk about the path in the NFC, you know, being open for Seattle, that changes mm-hmm. every draft because every draft there's a chance that some team in the NFC finds that next young guy. Yeah. And I know right now it feels pretty wide open, and you know, as as we're wrapping up this conversation, that's kind of what I want to leave people with. But that doesn't last forever. The time is now for Seattle to try to seize this opportunity. Can they do it? Uh, they have certainly a chance, most draft capital they've ever had under Pete and John. Uh, all right, if you are you know, dying to hear some updates from spring training and from Jerry Depoto and talk Mariners, we got you covered. Just hang tight. That's coming up in 15. We're going to have a bit of a Mariners roundtable, lots of stuff to cover there beginning at 11. Before we get to it, though, you're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. It is no secret the Seahawks struggled on defense last year, but to talk about how to fix it, you first got to understand why it happened. And one former Seahawk has a theory. That's next. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. You already know the Seahawks defense struggled last year, but why? Well, there are a lot of reasons, but one former Seahawk has a theory. And if a lot of you were wondering whether the 3-4 defense was part of it, congratulations on feeling validated by K.J. Wright. K.J. Wright joined Wyman and Bob yesterday to explain what he thought about Seattle's transition from a 4-3 to a 3-4. I got a couple cuts for you specifically on defense, but I want to save some time at the end to get to what he has to say about Geno Smith. So. Let's start with defense. K.J. Wright saying he doesn't know whether they had the right personnel in the first place to make the switch. Yeah, going from a 4-3 to a 3-4, I did that my last year. Like, 2020, we went to the 3-4 stick front, and um, that's the move that they wanted to go forward. And um, just looking at personnel that we had on the football field this past season, in particular with the— the linebackers and the interior defensive line. It was it was not pretty. It was not pretty at all. Just watching those guys get pushed around. Just watching the line, but the linebackers get you know suffocated by blocks and not be able to to find their way to make their plays. And so um, I wanted I want more big boys up front. You want to go three four? Let's get some some big guys up there. Some big Al Woods at all three spots: the nose and the two three techniques. Is that what you saw, Bump, when you looked at the tape when you watched games live? Yeah, man, 3-4, I mean, you're listening to one of the greatest linebackers to put on a Seahawk jersey. What's he say? I want some big boys up there to protect me. Give me time to diagnose the play, see what's going on. Give me time to be aggressive. Because when you have a big boy that's not wearing your jersey on you, a guard on you right now, it limits what you can do. So you got to be able to buy these linebackers time and keep them as clean as possible because you pay them to diagnose and to make tackles. And what KJ is saying that he didn't think they had, you had an out Woods, but he said he won two more of them things. Exactly. And then he talks specifically, like you said, about the linebacker role and why he thinks those guys struggled. I, I grew up in the 4-3 system. I understood that clearly we're going to run 4-3, cover three, eight man in the box. Everything is covered. Let's play football. With these guys, they ran a lot of too high safeties. So the linebackers, like you said, Dave, they got a two yard. They got to wait until the safeties come to the party. So by that time that happens, it's a five yard gain. Right. Second and five, they can do whatever they want to do at that point. And so I, I don't necessarily love the scheme. I believe if we get bigger up front, then we could, we could do better against the run. What's he saying here? 
Um, he's saying that our, when you have a two-eye safety that limits, you heard him say, look, four, three, cover three, eight men in the box, mm-hmm. let's get it. Mm-hmm. All right, when you have a two-eye safety, you lose a guy that's in the box. Yep. And, again, pretty much just echoing what I just said, you're not giving your linebackers time to get nasty and get physical. And what linebackers or what defenses like to do is is clutter things. You want to make it look cloudy in there. And when it comes to executing a run on offense – uh, your job is to get bodies on bodies, right? If you can clutter things up, if you can make offensive linemen have to communicate, right? If you can get shifting around and all that good stuff, but you have three dudes on the back end who can cover, you're good to go. And then you keep your linebackers in the box and not in space. There's a reason why you don't have a 6'3", 225-pound nickel, right? Because that type of body just isn't good <laughs> in space. right? It's, it just doesn't work that way. The laws of physics, the way the yeah. body is built, your nickel or guys on the, on the perimeter right there on the box, you want your, your, your smaller, faster dudes. So it's just what I hear him saying is that um, he wants – he likes physical play. He likes to clutter the box, and he likes his 50-somethings to play like 50-somethings and not number 8s and 27s or whatnot. He also mentioned there's just too much reading instead of reacting in a 3-4. Is that what you saw from from Brooks, from Barton? And importantly, how – like – there have been successful defenses that are a 3-4. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen amazing defenses that are a 3-4, whether it was, you know, briefly in Chicago. Uh, Denver's had that defense before. I mean, essentially, like, I don't know if it's half the league, but there are a number of great elite defenses that have been a 3-4. I think Wyman said half the league runs a 3-4. I looked at just the top 10 defenses from last year mm-hmm. when it comes to overall yards per game. I know San Francisco's a 4-3. San Fran a 4-3, Philly 4-3, Washington 4-3, Jets 4-3, Saints 4-3. You got to go all the way down to Denver Broncos before you get a 3-4, and then Tampa and Baltimore run a 3-4 as well. And they have big guys. I mean, I think of Tampa, and I think of big guys up front. Yeah, it's, it's a personnel thing. But... Here's the thing. It's Clint Hurst's first year, and he felt more comfortable coaching a 3-4. And sometimes you're just not going to have the personnel initially to do that. So that's why I wait for this year, and I go, okay, let's see what type of adjustments that he is going to make. KJ's just saying maybe they should have – well, he's not saying it. I'm reading between the lines. Maybe they should have just stayed with the 4-3 this first year because you got who you got. But if you do that, then you don't know what adjustments to make if you do want to convert right. to the 3-4. Then all of a sudden you're converting to it this offseason after getting your guys, and you're like, well, we got the guys, but everyone else has never played Exactly. It. So just like we look at quarterbacks and say, okay, give them time to mature and figure this thing out, Chicago. Uh, keep Justin Fields. <laughs> you you got to give the defensive coordinators and, and, and that personnel time to adapt. All right. Uh, last minute here. Let's get to his answers about Gino. And he says more about the defense. You guys can hear that on the Wyman and Bob podcast. That's the KJ Wright interview with them. Uh, he's asked whether Gino can be the guy you can win a Super Bowl with. Here's what he had to say. Can Gino be that guy? Yes. Yes. I think so. With the help of other pieces. But here's the thing with, with Gina, like this team is like there's other pieces that need to be added to this team. Right. There's a lot of pieces that need to be added. So they got to see, like, do we go this route or do we add other pieces to this puzzle? So it's a lot of there's holes and there's holes that they have to, to plug in with this football team. And so even I haven't definitively said uh, with with such uh, passion that you can win a Super Bowl with Gino. I've been so on the fence with that answer, even though I've been pretty adamant about keeping Gino. KJ Wright thinks they can win with Geno, but says, look, they have other stuff to do. Can you do both? KJ also thought this team was going to make the playoffs, and he was right. Um, he felt Geno was going to be the starter, and he was right. So I give him his flowers, and I think he's right here. And he um, he gave you a little buffer there, though. Mm-hmm. There's contingencies, though. 
Gino can be the guy if X, Y, and Z happen. In the X, Y, and Z, I was he, say, wants, what's that? he wants big boys on that defensive line. Sure. I think you need another linebacker. Um, and maybe maybe use a guy in the secondary. It's all about making that defense better and fit who you have. So um, I'm with KJ there. He could be the guy. All right, I seen Rex Grossman go to the Super Bowl. Rex Grossman <laughs> went to the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? So anything is possible. I watched one Nick Foles. Nick Foles. With that Philly Bear special. Down. Bear down, Curtis. Yeah, so it, it's possible. MVP. Is it likely? Is it likely? No. Is yeah. it possible? Anything's possible. Anything is possible. Okay, you can hear more from KJ Wright. He talks about the dollar amount for paying Gino. He's also asked about what the offense could use. And again, talks about the linebackers' roles in the 3-4. Great interview on Wyman and Bob. That'll be on their podcast page. All right, coming up next, I know that a lot of you guys have been waiting for this one. Uh, the uh, Mariners are obviously out at spring training. MLB released its top 100 list. We're going to ask Brandon Gustafson in studio uh, if there were any snubs on that list and also the latest from Peoria. Tons of Mariners talk coming your way next. Don't go anywhere.